0: Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. You are listening to Tax Able with Natasha Heron. Welcome back to Series 2 of Tax Able with Tash.
1: During this season, I would take you on a deep dive into 12 different industries. Each industry has its own tax consideration and complexity. Together, we will discuss key points to help you feel empowered about tax for your business. In addition to the weekly episodes, I've interviewed a key player within that industry. Want to know how they've achieved their success? Or see whether their journey is similar to yours? Well, make sure you tune in each week. Hello and welcome to TaxAble. Today we have an audience with Sarah Wilding and she works for HI Executive Consulting, which is known to their clients as HIEC. HIEC is a leading global executive search firm which concentrates on hiring board, CEO, partner and senior senior level executives globally. It focuses on delivering transformational leaders. This means they look for the creme de la creme. HIEC operates out of 13 offices in North America, Europe, Middle East and Asia-Pacific. Sarah is one of the managing partners and is an international headhunter with more than 20 years' experience. She focuses on technology and professional services industries. Her clients include private equity, technology and the big four. What led you to a career at HIEC?
2: Um, do you know, uh, people. Um, we. I think I joined... I think it was about twelve years ago, um, 2010, possibly 2011, um, and I knew two other um, individuals, uh, partners in the firm, that um, were heading to them, and so it was. It felt like an opportunity that was too good to turn away. Really, simply because I really liked the people that were setting the business up, and. The most fun you can have in business is when you can take a little bit of risk. Yeah,
1: definitely. And did you always want to work in this field?
2: No. Uh, when I, I kind of lots of people um, in the world of recruitment, um, when you ask how they got into it, um, you tend to find that they've fallen into it, and. I fell into it by coincidence. My now husband, but then boyfriend, um, when I graduated, like so many graduates, I had no idea what I wanted to do. And um, he said at the time he was a few years older than me, uh, just qualifying as an accountant and he used a a recruiter to help him find a new job. And uh, he said you'd be great at that. Why don't you just go and give recruitment a go? And he sent his he he even sent my CV to the firm that he used, and they ended up hiring me. Um, and that's how I started. And I started off in two thousand and one placing, you know, newly qualified accountants into yep. tax tax senior <laughs> positions, audit senior positions, um, and kind of that's how it all began.
1: Yeah, I've always considered whether I should have gone to recruitment before starting at an accountancy firm. It's never
2: too late, Tash. <laughs> <laughs> might be a
1: tad late. <laughs> Let's switch us from a Tad podcast to a recruitment podcast.
2: <laughs> Once a recruiter, always yeah, a recruiter. You can
1: always convert. Um, but I, yeah, I always considered it. So it's interesting that you started recruiting in accounting and tax, and you've sort of stayed in that field because you now recruit for the big four but the the top level of the big four. So how did you start from the senior level to... The top of the businesses.
2: Um, do you know? I mean, most of the work, uh, and we don't really do any um, recruitment within audit and tax anymore. So I moved over to the management consulting side yeah. of um, that business, uh, probably in about 2005. Um, and almost all of the work that we've um, that I've I've done since then has very much been in the technology and consulting space. Yeah, and I, I kind of got very lucky. Um, A young partner who I suspect I shall remain, who shall remain (laughs) nameless, um, gave me my first ever partner search back in 2005, um, which was actually to help build out EY's consulting capability at the time. Um, And I mean, they remain a client today. We still work with them around the globe at partner level. Um, And it kind of spun out from there. And now we do work that really, sp- I mean, the thing I love about the professional services and technology market is the breadth of capability and the breadth of searches that we handle. So it will go from digital transformation to cybersecurity, to sustainability, to supply chain, to strategy, to f- financial performance, to SAP to platforms to cloud and you get to work across all of those different areas right at the top of the tree for a real variety of high-profile organisations putting in their leaders across the US, Asia and Europe and you know keeps it interesting keeps it really interesting and you know I get to meet the creme de la creme of the business world I mean what a luxurious position to be in. I spend my days interviewing really fascinating people. And I can imagine
1: you love knowing their stories and talking to them about how they got to where they were and what they want out of life. Yeah. Because that's what a good recruiter needs to do is to put them in a job that gives them their goals and they're going to stay there for a long time.
2: Well, you often find when people hit a certain level, the reason they move is typically not financially motivated. It's all about the challenge, the scale and the breadth of the impact they can have in a new organisation.
1: What's gone well for you?
2: Uh, Time to you list know, out your
1: achievements. You
2: know, <laughs> Come
1: on, you sell know, me
2: yourself. Do you know, I've been very fortunate. Um, we've had a fantastic um, track record of delivery. Um, I tend to find the harder you work, the luckier you get yeah. and um, a, 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 at hi um, executive consulting, we have we're very fortunate to have real longevity in our client base. Yeah. So most of the organizations we work with have been long-standing clients and they we build very deep relationships with them and we help them address a really wide array of issues so, um, certainly one of the themes of certainly the past 10 years has been working with our clients to help really drive diversity. Um, and that's both ethnic and gender diversity. Yeah. Um, and that today still represents a massive challenge in the market um, for both um, the individual themselves, but also the organization. You know, it's a constant challenge to try and yeah. get some sort of balance across the leadership of an organization.
1: Yeah and it takes a lot of time as well. It can't be an immediate change.
2: No. No. Um absolutely. And how do you how do you drive that change effectively? What can companies do to get greater equality across that leadership table?
1: Yeah, I guess you've got to have a lot of um f- future planning, you need some succession, you need to bring up individuals in your own own business as well as bringing new individuals. So it takes a lot of time and effort, I can imagine, to make sure that you have the right people at the top, but then also meeting the right diversity.
2: It does. But, you know, equally, um, when you're using a firm like ours to drive executive search, you know, it's because there is a specific need in a business Um, for um, a certain set of expertise and there are definitely things that headhunters can do that will help organisations turn the dial around some of that uh, some of the diversity agenda so it is absolutely you know making sure you contact the females on your long list before you contact the men because the men are more likely to respond to the call of a headhunter than women oh really that's interesting um, I mean, it takes uh, almost 45 days longer from our research to recruit a female than it does a man. I wonder why that is.
1: Do you reckon it's their reluctance to move or confidence in their own ability?
2: No, I. Th- from the senior women I've engaged with, and this is a, a generalisation rather than a specific, you know, this isn't a specific example, but there are definite themes. I tend to find that when... Um, Men seem to have a bit more time or prioritize returning the call of a headhunter more than a woman does. And I think some of the contributing factors to that are because it doesn't matter how successful or how senior you are in what you do. Uh, typically, you tend to find that the running of a household and if certainly if a woman um, has kids, they yeah. will be organising either the childcare, the clubs, the yeah. all of the extracurricular activities or the things that are around a family that that makes that family's life tick yeah. tends to fall on the female
1: yeah as the primary caregiver yeah
2: and when uh, us women we're not terribly good at pushing back and saying you need to sort xyz yeah.
1: if you want it done right you just do it yourself
2: yes <laughs> yes yeah. um yeah that's the control uh the control yeah. freak nature sometimes i, I think, think we all are yeah. a secret
1: control freak
2: yeah but that definitely impacts um it definitely impacts um do you
1: entertain women the same way you'd entertain men? So would you take women out for lunch or for a drink or would you do something different with them?
2: Actually, we don't do much of that. Oh, really? Um, no. Uh, I mean, we used to back in back in the early noughties. There used to be much more of an entertaining culture. But generally, people, I mean, we're all busy. Yeah. And so honestly, this it's much more... Um, You know, they're very senior individuals. It's a one-on-one conversation um, in person or over VC, because lots of the work we do is international. Nine times out of 10, it's via VC. And actually that's something that's really changed during the pandemic.
1: Yeah, I was gonna ask you, how has that changed? Because now people are working remotely or they don't wanna travel in because of restrictions. Have you found that you're doing more and more interviews over the phone or via video call?
2: We always used to do a reasonable amount um, via VC because of the international nature of the work. But certainly I would have the view that the way the the pandemic has accelerated you've almost seen 20 years of cultural shift in the workplace yeah. in the space of 2 years and you know i for one i'm traveling far far less yeah. than i was pre pandemic my clients are traveling far far less realize than they you were. don't
1: have to travel in person you can do the same amount of work and get the same connection with a video call obviously you need to then back up those meetings with in person every now and then
2: yes and i think i certainly feel that's an easier solution when you've got established relationships yes you know it's slightly different when you're talking about new relationships i think you know um
1: everyone wants to put a face to a name in person because you can judge a lot more about a situation and someone when you're sat opposite them to them when you're sat on a quick phone call well i find that anyway
2: yeah I guess some of us have been spending 20 years <laughs> judging situations I'll via you know phone in call in VC, and you, you know, you, you get to know people. I mean, the processes that most of our um, candidates go through will often be six, you know, anywhere between three to nine months, depending on the client and the scale. You know, they're not moves people make quickly. And so you have a long time to build up that trust and that relationship.
1: Did that take you a little while to get used to from when you first started recruiting and it was probably a shorter lead time to secure a a candidate to now it takes maybe the best part of a year?
2: Um, all depending on the client um, all depending on the client um, you know typically our time to shortlist is six weeks yes. um, from the start of a search to when we're presenting oh, wow. the client with candidates and then depending on the process they need to go through uh, to recruit people in at MD partner, you know, onto the board of a private equity-backed business, that process can be super quick. It can be done within another six weeks or it can last nine, 12 months, depending on uh, where they're going and and the remit and what they're looking to do.
1: So one's journey to the top is never
2: easy. Have you experienced any difficulties along the way? Oh, I think, do you know, um, resilience. I, I think if I was, it's really important to learn from the mistakes you make yeah um I was very lucky I had a lot of trust put in me at a very young age by some big clients and I loved it I loved working with senior stakeholders helping them build and create something that didn't exist I had a lot of fun Um, And I'm still in touch with the individual that gave me my first ever partner search as a headhunter. We're great friends. And uh, I will always be really grateful to that first cohort cohort of partners that really trusted me and the company I worked for to deliver for them. But you absolutely make mistakes. And it's good to make mistakes. Yeah, you learn Um, quickly. You do. You learn far more quickly. How do you handle difficult situations? How do you bounce back from setbacks? All of that helps you later on. Yeah, it's just the worst feeling when you realise you've made a mistake
1: and then you suddenly get hot and you're like, how do I now fix this? (laughs) (laughs)
2: and sometimes you can't fix it sometimes you have to live by the consequences but I have a I do have a a motto that I never have any regrets there is no point in having regrets yeah the only you have to take what you can from every situation and make sure you learn from it and move on and move on in a positive fashion
1: I like that. Affirming positivity. Yeah, well... We need that in 2022. I'm, ever,
2: I'm forever an optimist, as most of my <laughs> colleagues will tell you.
1: I think you have to be in your line of work. Yeah. Are there any trends and themes that you see in the market today? Like, any changes? I know we've talked about COVID and um, more calls and meetings happening over video. But are there any other changes that you've seen?
2: Yeah, um, there's there's definitely... There's definitely some big themes I think emerging globally. So sustainability is one of them. Yeah. Two years ago, if you'd asked me what such work I had undertaken in sustainability, I would have said, Oh, one or two projects over the last fifteen years. The in the last two years we've appointed more leaders in sustainability than any other sector. Mm-hmm.
1: And what sort of roles would they be doing in sustainability?
2: They would be doing sustainability strategy. They'd be mm-hmm. doing um, the sustainability in the CFO and regulation agenda. They would be doing you know, supply chain and sustainability. They would be looking at um, the IoT space and sustainability and ma- manufacturing. Um, they'd be looking at data and analytics and how that impacts sustainability. So yeah. it's almost every... Function, yeah. Every yeah. functional specialism you can think of now has a sustainability overlay, and that is without even thinking about the sectors. So we've yeah. seen growth in financial services, consumer, and how sustainability can impact those as as um, sectors as well. Um, so I'm expecting that to continue over the course of uh, certainly the next five years. Um, diversity, we've covered off. That's always been a big theme. Yeah. Um. And then. Anything anything around the platforms and cloud space. Yeah. Data, analytics, um, how you can transform a business to operate in a more agile way yeah. is definitely something that every organization is thinking about. And actually that's why, you know, the services sector over the course of the last two years has performed unbelievably well. Yeah. And that is due to the demand out there from global organisations that need to pivot direction.
1: Yeah, I feel that some industries have come into the 21st century. So look, we're doing a tax podcast at the moment for a firm which has, well, my employer, which has historically been... A little bit slow on the uptake with technology and making change but now we're doing something completely out of their comfort zone so I think there's a lot of companies which are now using technology and trying different ideas which they may have been not scared but maybe not as open to trying a few years ago mm.
2: Mm. yeah absolutely
1: so I will ask this question to any of my male guests as well but how do you find juggling family life and a career, especially since lockdown, as you would have spent a lot more time at home with your family?
2: Um, do you know, I, I think, you know, my husband has a full time job. I have a full time job. Uh, we have one seven year old, so it's totally manageable. And we're very fortunate because we do also have a nanny. Yeah um in the pandemic you know it wasn't possible for our nanny to come to work and we juggled it through being a team and yeah. i think for me that is kind of the number one that's why it works you know i'm very fortunate in that my husband doesn't have to travel internationally and yeah. so pre pandemic i would be away at least two or three times a month for two or three nights a week and he was able to juggle that um, with his career and we have our work diaries we run our life through our work diaries um, do you have a joint but, diary no we literally just invite each other to any evening appointments <laughs> yeah. to make sure that they know that the other that's one It's a good idea so my my secretary knows to always include my husband on any evening mm-hmm. appointments so he knows he has to be home by 7 p.m because that's when we have no additional support for toby yeah um so we juggle it and you know what you know
1: you got into the routine
2: you do you just find a new way of operating and now without the travel you know you can see that you can still work very effectively by half at least you know i'm doing a fraction of the travel i would have done pre-pandemic but i less
1: tiring as well
2: yeah it is, although having done the same commute in and out of London for twenty years, it's amazing that post pandemic I um I do struggle with that commute yeah. now, even though it's only two or three days a week.
1: Yeah, you get used to the extra lions and only having a short walk to your office space. Oh, I
2: don't know what a I don't know what a lion is, Tash. I'm up at <laughs> half five in the morning. I had one for over seven for years, a run. you?
1: <laughs> I used to commute two hours each way to the office and then I moved to London during the pandemic and now I even struggle to do a 20-minute commute.
2: Yeah, it's, it's amazing how, crazy. It, how new habits form. I think it takes three weeks to form a habit, apparently.
1: I've tried every day to get up at six o'clock and every day it snooze and it snooze in constantly for an an hour. I, I thought I'd have four hours extra in my day every day but somehow they just get eaten up. <laughs> <laughs> I'll uh I might join you on some runs at some point. I'm still not there yet.
2: Well, you know, it gets me out of bed in the morning.
1: So would you have any advice for your younger self?
2: Don't worry so much.
1: That's an easy one to say, but it to is put an, it into
2: practice is I almost know, impossible. It is almost impossible. I am a worrier. Yeah. I um it almost doesn't matter. Uh, What the situation is, I will find something in a situation to worry about. Um, And so I think I would just say, enjoy the ride. It will all be all right in the end. And as long as you stay true to yourself and do the right thing, in my experience, that's the right answer.
1: Yeah, it may take a little bit longer to get to where you want to go, but you have to have a bit of faith and keep going.
2: Yeah. Resilience deter Mm. you can't underestimate how important resilience and determination is. Um I have I love my job. I have a huge And you have to love what you do. If you're doing it majority of your life.
1: Five days a week we're at work, two two days a week we're off. In our free time, you have to love what you do.
2: You do. And, you know, when those disasters happen at the time feel like disasters, they're not. You will recover. You will take something from it. And it'll make you a better certainly made me a better character. Character building is it what is parents always building. tell you when
1: something bad happens. Yeah. And I'm thinking, my character's built enough.
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I don't really need
1: to do any... I don't need any more lessons. But you always do. You're always changing and you're always learning. Absolutely. So one question that wasn't on our list is, what is an international search boutique? <laughs> <laughs> I saw it in so, your bio and I was like, right, do you know, okay.
2: Um, we consider ourselves... Um, look we compete with the the big five headhunters and mm-hmm. um, most of the time when we're pitching for work we are pitching against the big five global search yeah. firms we are as about as big about as big as it gets as a smaller search firm but with a global presence yeah um and so you know, we consider ourselves to be operating right at the top of the tree. Um, we have one global PL which makes a massive difference because it enables us to we have a global delivery team. Yeah. And that enables us to support our clients with best team out, regardless of where they're sat in the world. Yeah. Which in an in an in a landscape where most of our clients are looking to attract the best talent regardless of where they sit. Um, is a really exciting USP. Mm-hmm. We have a borderless approach to executive search. You're always a recruiter, aren't you? I am. Always
1: sales. <laughs> Every opportunity, it's just smooth. It just rolls off the tongue.
2: <laughs> I've been doing it a long time.
0: You are listening to Tax Able with Natasha Heron.
1: If you've enjoyed today's episode, please click subscribe to listen to new episodes as they're released. Make sure you're following on Instagram,
2: TikTok, and the newly launched YouTube channel.